0: This is the last session that we're going to do in, in the studies that we've been conducting in the book of Titus. Uh, we, well, what I want to try and do is draw together what we've been learning. And uh, the title that we gave to this series is, and has been and was, Establishing an Effective Church. One of the reasons for that is verse 5 of chapter 1, where Paul who is writing to his colleague Titus, says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. He's delegating the job to Titus of establishing an effective or effective churches on this island of Crete. And we're not going to recap what all of that means. Um, What I want to do, as we look at, really, verses 8 to the end... Um, someone told me once that good preachers have three points and um, So I just want to cover the last few verses of verse 8 Right to the end under these three headings An effective church And this, this draws together what we've been thinking about An effective church knows That it is only the gospel That changes people's lives and hearts Let, let me just stop for a minute We, we have some visitors here today that, that word gospel is a word that Christians use an awful lot. And, and you might think, gospel, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel really means good news. And Christians use that word, and the Bible uses that word, to describe, in a way, the Christian message. The word gospel, if you imagine a town crier dressed in all his kind of beef eater costume, ringing his bell and saying, oh, yay, oh, yay. And he's announcing something to the people. That is really what the image to keep in mind when you think of the gospel. This is fantastic, amazing good news for the world. And Paul's job is to preach this. He is effectively a town crier. He's wanting to proclaim and declare the gospel, the good news. The great message of what God has done for us through Jesus. That's the gospel. That's just an aside. An effective church will know That this message, this gospel, is the only thing that will change people's lives. Secondly, an effective church will resist distractions and will endeavour to keep the gospel the main thing. I mean, I've got to say, I know what business feels like. And my wife even more so. Children, family life business, church joys and sorrows difficulties, hopes, dreams life is so busy sometimes isn't it and it's no different in church there are so many things that could occupy our attention an effective church will resist the temptation to be sidetracked by things that are not as important as the gospel Okay, we'll deal with that And an effective church will depend on Christian believers being involved. You cannot have an effective church if people are sitting on the bench watching the game instead of being on the pitch playing in the game. And an effective church will depend on believers being mobilised. So they're the three things that we're going to cover this morning. Okay? The assumption behind all of that, surely, is that leadership is crucial, isn't it? And that's one reason why Paul urges Titus in verse 5 to appoint elders, or leaders, or whatever title you give them. Um, we dealt with that when we were in chapter 1. Part, part of this, part part of my job, part of the job of leaders, is to cultivate these things it is the gospel that changes life let's keep the gospel the main thing and let's make sure that all of us as christian believers are involved and mobilized that that will lead to an effective church and that's paul's message to titus so let's deal with the 1st i'm going to spend more time on the first one and i'm going to spend less time on the last two so if you think the first one goes on a bit don't, don't multiply it by three in your mind I think that will be here till Wednesday okay? because we're going to dwell on the first one and then a little bit on the second two so the gospel changes lives this has been the theme of the whole book and if you've been here as we've been going through Titus you'll know that this, this is um, just a simple little idea this, this is how Christianity works there is truth the gospel, the good news, the message, the Christian content. What human beings need to do, every one of you, me included, all of us, we need to make a response to that truth. And that response is to believe it. Simple, as the Maycat would say. Truth, response. But the thing that Paul emphasises in Titus is that when someone responds to this message with genuine faith, it will, let me say that again, it will change their life. Truth, faith, change life. That's Christianity. And that's the theme, in a way, of this whole book. We've seen, as we've gone through it, let me remind you, the theme of faith, faith, uh, truth, faith and a changed life goes all through through this book. I said to you right at the beginning, one of the themes here is this idea of doing good. Uh, one of the great things about Titus is, it's all on the same page, isn't it? Isn't that brilliant? If, you, if you're in the church choir, well, you don't need to kind of mess about. It's all on the same page. Look with me at chapter 1 and verse 8. When Titus is looking for leaders, Paul gives him a list of qualifications. And one of them is... An elder or a leader must be someone who loves what is good. What a great qualification. Uh, Chapter 1 and verse 16. The false teachers, who are not teaching truth that changes lives, but lies that destroy lives, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Their lives do not reflect what they should reflect. Their teachings corrupt and their lives are corrupt. There's no consistency between the two. Look at chapter 2 verse 3. He tells the older women to teach what is good. Chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul says to Titus, in everything set the people an example. How? By doing what is good. Chapter 2 verse 14 Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Chapter 3 verse 1 Titus remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient and to be ready to To do whatever is good. It's like a stuck record, isn't it? It's all the way through the letter. Oh, there's one more. Chapter 3 and verse 14. John read it to us. His summary at the end is, Titus, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. And do you know what it's... uh, Well, the very first verse of the whole letter. Paul, a servant of God, and apostle of Jesus Christ... For the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Truth leads to good lives. That's the connection. What's the definition of good, mister? Well, let me ask you. These words trip off the tongue. What do you think Paul means when he talks about doing what is good? What does that mean? Just have a little drink while you have a little think. It's a little poem, is isn't it? <coughs> You're all awake, aren't you? Doing what is good. What does it mean? Come wait. Helping other people, excellent. You've set the ball rolling now. Anyone else? Doing the right thing, Doing the right thing. morally, mm-hmm. or okay? Others you Putting others before yourself, very good. Ah, you're getting confident now, you see. One of the things, I don't, I don't know if we've kept this rule, because those of you who've been to our house will probably know that we haven't, but when, you're, when you have a house, and, you know, you have to buy furniture and stuff. And One of the things that we've often remarked on is the fact that you should have nothing in your house that is not either useful or beautiful. It's a good rule, isn't it? don't think we've kept to it. We've got a lot of trash in our house. But it's not useful or beautiful. We do try to be ruthless. I throw things away and Jane takes them back out of the bin. And brings them back. Can't throw that away. What a waste. No, she doesn't really. The essence of goodness, Paul uses lots of different Greek words for goodness here. And the essence of goodness, I, th- I think that's a good illustration. When you think about your life, is it useful and beautiful? That, that's two sides of the same coin, really. Is, is your life beautiful? And is it productive? Is it useful? Is it a good influence? That, that's a good way to look at goodness. When you think about Jesus, think about Jesus. And what you know of Jesus. His life. Was both beautiful. And useful. Phenomenally so. When you look at his life. There's no shadow of darkness. When you look at his life. It says in the gospels. Jesus went around doing good exactly what Paul says here he is the foundation of Christianity and maybe that's a good question for me to think about for me and for you to think about for you is my life beautiful and useful it's not one or the other by the way It's, it's really nice if you can have things in your house that are useful and beautiful isn't it it's good but is your life useful and beautiful patience, courage loyalty, faithfulness kindness, truthfulness these are good, clean, wholesome heroic qualities being a good influence some of you touched on being helpful, supportive loving, compassionate this is not the life of a wimpish, wussy individual, this is the life of a hero who is strong noble Pure and clean. What would our society be like. If people embraced that. And instead of living petty. Miserable. Dark. Depressing lives. They sought to do what is good. How that would transform our culture. That's what Paul's on the bar. That's what he means. And this, he's not being a stuck record here. What he's wanting is to see. Goodness disseminated. Ooh, sorry. What about truth? There's an interesting uh, connection here between... Sorry, i will put the face point up there. We'll come back to that in a minute. Just ignore that. There's an interesting connection here between good teaching and good lives and bad teaching and bad lives. Uh, John read to us what uh, Paul's been talking about teaching and he says at the end of verse 8 these things are excellent and profitable for everyone but then he says in verse 9 avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law why? because these are unprofitable and useless there are some things you can think about there are some things you can believe there are some things you can dwell on that will lead you into goodness, and there are some things you can dwell on that will lead you into badness. That—that's what Paul's saying. There's a connection there. If you believe lies, your life will reflect that. If you believe the truth, your life will be good, useful, and beautiful, and productive. And, th- and he says it at the end as well, verse uh, fourteen. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. That's what he's aiming at for them. I don't want you to live a life that's pointless and unproductive. I want you to live a life that's good and wholesome and pure and an influence for good in the world. Well, this connection between truth and then faith. Let's talk about truth first. Last week, we were looking at verses 3. ...to uh, 7 really, weren't we? And I'll, let me just summarise. Because Paul says here... ...at the beginning of verse 8... He, he, ...he goes on with this big long sentence... ...all this stuff... ...and then he says, this is a trustworthy saying. There are five elements to what Paul says. And there's other things all over the Bible. These are the five things that Paul says. This is the content of the Gospel. Let, let Prick your ears up and listen. This is the five things. First of all, Paul says... ...human nature is corrupt... That is a very hard thing for us to hear, isn't it? We kind of know it's true for everyone else. Well, yeah, human nature. But when someone says, actually, you're part of this as well. We, we don't like that, do we? I'm not as bad as him. The Bible says, there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem with the world is you and me. Not somewhere else. Human nature is not godly, but corrupt. We're not what we ought to be. The second thing about the gospel is that God is extravagantly and astonishingly kind. You would think, if God was like us, that he'd say, I've had enough, these people are miserable, I'm just going to wipe them out. Do you know what the Bible says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Begotten Son, Jesus. God doesn't dismiss the world, condemn the world. He doesn't want to retaliate like we would. God has in his heart the most incredible, extravagant, and generous kindness for people who don't deserve any of it. Isn't that brilliant? The third thing Paul says is that the work of God's Holy Spirit is crucial. We talked about this last week. No one ever comes to faith in Jesus by thinking their way there. What's needed is for God's Spirit to come and give them a new heart. It's not about pulling your socks up and trying harder. What you actually need is a new heart. And that's the work of God's Spirit. That's not all. All of that work of God's Spirit is based on the achievements of Jesus. We've been singing about it today. When Jesus came from heaven to live a perfect life that we couldn't live and died on a cross, the death that we deserve, everything that God is doing in his world depends on the great achievements of a hero called Jesus. The reason the Spirit can work in your heart and my heart is because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And do you know what that leads to? A new status. What does Paul say? He says, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Do you know what that means? That means that sinful, selfish wretches like me, like Paul, like Titus, like you, could be part of God's family. Because he loves sinners. And he saves sinners. And he restores them. And gives them a seat at his table. He turns rebels into worshippers. It's an incredible gospel. No wonder Paul says to Titus. I want you to stress these things mate. (laughs) I want you to stress these things. Why? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what's good. Why is it that we bang about? Why is it that we bang on about this stuff every week in this church? Because this is the tr- these are the truths that change people's lives. Christianity is hard for us because. in Christianity there's a very real sense in which we have to go down before we can go up we have to admit that we're not what we ought to be we have to admit that we can't do it in our own strength and resource but the encouraging thing is that we can then look away from ourselves to a saviour who loves us and cares for us. And that's Christianity. I can't say it anymore plainly than that to you. If you want to be a Christian, you have to go down before you can go up. You you, you have to come to terms with the fact that it's like going to the doctors, isn't it, in a way? If you go to the doctors and he says, you're fine when you've got some terminal illness, you wouldn't be very pleased with him. But if he says to you, do you know what, you're very ill but I'm a doctor and I can cure you that's the gospel we're sick and we need a saviour that's the truth they're the five truths and uh, there's things like that all over the Bible but we're in Tartus, so we'll stick to that let me talk about belief for a minute and then we'll talk about change some, some, time, some of you have asked me about faith and you've said to me "You know, what does it mean to believe And it's an interesting question because, you know, you can believe things intellectually. You can agree about certain facts. Let me read to you a quote from a theologian. Uh, This is a quote from Wayne Grudem. He says this, Saving faith is trust in Jesus as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. This definition emphasises that saving faith is not just a belief in facts, but is a personal trust in Jesus to save me. The definition emphasises personal trust in Christ, not just a belief in facts about Christ. It's more than believing facts, it's trusting a person. It is trusting Jesus to save you personally and Paul specifically says here that this salvation experience is not dependent on the things you do or don't do he says that we looked at it last week in verse 4 when the kindness and love of God our saviour appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy faith in Jesus it means it's not just agreeing with facts about Jesus but it is put in your life into his hands. It's, it's, it's in a way stop looking inside and look out of yourself to Jesus and put your confidence in him. I want to uh, illustrate it for you. This word justification we didn't really unpack that word last week but let me think about justification with you. I am um, Next week I'm taking Hannah and Richard's wedding, as I said to you earlier, and I, I thought I'd do a little illustration here. I've, I've got a seat to wear. Um, this is it. I don't, I've not shown Hannah this yet, but um, do you think um, Hannah would be pleased, and Richard? Got a nice pink tie to go with it. What do you think? Do you think that suits? Can I tell you? It, let, let, me, let me try and illustrate justification for you. I need some help here. You've got a sneak preview of the real suit that I just bought this week from Debenham's. Will, will you do me a favour? I'm just uh, put this one on for me. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. You, you can wear that. It might be a bit big for you, mate. Big, fatty like me. Let me let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I want you to imagine that these clothes represent my sinful nature. Okay. Filthy rags. That's what it is. We've said that. Human nature is corrupt. This lovely, clean, perfect jacket that's never been worn before. Well, I just bought it from Debenhams the other day. I want you to imagine that this is the perfect life of Jesus. This is me and my life. This is Jesus and his life. Do you know what Christianity says this. Jesus has taken my life. You put that on me. And he's given me his life. That's good. You've had a sneak preview. Very Swish. <laughs> Do you know the reason Jesus died? was because my sins were laid on him. But that's not all. Christianity is not just about forgiveness. What God does when we put our trust in Jesus is he gives to us the perfect life of Jesus. Do you know that your status before God doesn't depend on what you do? It depends on what he's done when you get up tomorrow morning, it's the same as it is today. It's the same as it was yesterday. Thanks, Will. i better let you go. Otherwise I'll get carried away and start preaching. And you'll be standing there like a lemon. You can, uh, you can have a look at those after. You get the illustration. What's happened at the cross is that we swap places with Jesus. He's taken our sin and given us His righteousness. When God says, you will never get into heaven... Unless you're righteous, you can't come to heaven with your own righteousness because they're like filthy rags, you'll never get in. But I'll tell you what will get you in the perfect righteousness of Jesus that He gives to you. The Bible word is He imputes it to you. Imagine you had a bank account and you were a million pounds in debt. What happens in Christianity is that Jesus says, I'll, I'll, I'll pay off all those debts, but I won't just leave you at zero, I'll put a million pounds in your account as well. How would you feel if someone did that for you? That's what Christ has done for you. He's taken off your filthy rags and he's given you his life. When I say to you, are you a Christian today? You, well, I don't feel like a very good Christian. I've not done it's not about what you do. Your status as a Christian is grounded in him. God treats you as if you were Jesus. He can't love you anymore because he sees you as perfect. It isn't that you are perfect. None of us are perfect. But we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Your sins have been taken away. And you've been given the life of Jesus. That's what it means when Paul says... We've been justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. I know I do. But he doesn't treat me as if I do. He treats me as if I've got the Do you know, we, I can't believe the songs just chosen this morning, King of Kings, Majesty. I lay my what does it say? I lay my whole in royal robes I don't deserve in royal robes I don't deserve he's given you his righteousness to wear it's not about you it's about him if someone says to you are you a Christian don't answer that question by saying yeah I do this, I do that, I do the other your status as a Christian is not about your performance it's about him and this is what faith means Can I say to you, very humbly and gently. Until you stop looking inside for the answer. And start looking outside of yourself. And lift your eyes and look at Jesus. You'll never make progress. Well, you won't even start (laughs) the Christian life. You've got to look away from you. And see that he is your all in all. Why did Jesus not just drop down out of heaven and die? Because part of what Jesus is doing to save us is living the life that we couldn't live. He was born and lived in this world. The life that we could never live. And that life is credited to you. When you put your faith in Jesus. Can he save you as a sinner? Yes he can. Can he clothe you with his righteousness? Yes he can. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? He ran away because he didn't love his dad. Give me the money now dad. I want to go and have a war party. And he ran off. He ends up realising that actually he would have been better off at home. Eating pig food. Stinking. Wearing dirty rags. When he came back home, his dad was watching for him and came running down the street to meet him. wrapped his arms around him, even though he stank of pigs. And the first thing he said is, quick, bring the biggest cow and we're going to have a party. Bring the robe and put it on him. That's what God will do for you. He'll clothe you with his righteousness. Because your own and my own is worthless. change life this, this is the point do you know what religion always puts the cart before the horse and people say if I want to get to God and be part of his family I've got to do this and do that and do the other and not do this you can't do it until you have a new heart and you're part of God's family to start with how does that happen? it happens by believing in Jesus And then you're free to live a changed life on the basis of who you are now because of Jesus. Christianity is not striving to be something. It's accepting that you are something and then living in the light of that. Am I making sense? I really hope I am. I don't want to make a dodgy breakfast of this because it's too important. Let's move on to changed life. Um... Because, the the reason I say it, we need to rattle on, but I I said I would spend more on this first one. He says to them, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, which is exactly what we're doing, so that those who have trusted in God, in the way I've been describing, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Notice the order. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, will devote themselves to what's good. Can you see what comes first? He he doesn't say, I want you to stress these things so that people will try and do what's good. He says, I want you to stress these things so that those who do believe in Jesus will devote themselves to what's good. It's faith first. That's what Paul says. That's the order. I want you to proclaim this great message Of what Jesus has done to make people clean. And then when people believe that, I want you to teach them to devote themselves to doing what's good. Faith first. I suppose my question on that basis for all of you has got to be, have you begun? Are you trying to do good things? And you've missed the fact that the thing that comes first is faith in Jesus oh I'm doing my best, you've no idea how hard it is I've been trying to look after this and do that and help so and so And what you're forgetting is that none of that really is intended to cut ice with God what you need to do first is have faith that liberates you to do things because you want to rather than because you have to, doesn't it? faith first but there's another point here I don't want to bamboozle you. But that, that phrase, those who have trusted in God, it's not a perfect translation that and it's because Greek's more complicated than English. Is that possible? The the tense of that phrase is really so that those who have trusted in God and who are keeping on trusting in God may be careful to devote themselves to them what's good. It's like a past tense with a continuing reality. So it's not just faith first, it's actually faith always. Some of you fall into trap of thinking, yeah, I became a Christian in 1963 at a Billy Graham crusade, I went forward, and I put my faith in Jesus, and ever since then I've been trying my best. <laughs> you get the point? The way you begin is the way you carry on. You need the gospel today just as much as you needed it in 1963. Faith is how you begin and faith is how you carry on. All the time, it's faith in Jesus. He is the hero in the story. It isn't trusting Jesus and then trying your best. It's trust in, trust in Jesus and then trust in Jesus. And then trust in Jesus some more. And then trust in Jesus again. It's all about Christ and leaning on him. Faith first, faith always. And the last thing, faith that lives. Faith that lives. What people try and do is they try to separate faith and behaviour. What they say is, oh yeah, I believe that, but it doesn't matter how I live. When I marry Hannah and Richard next week, I'm going to say at the end of the service, something along these lines, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And what Paul's doing here, under the influence of God's Spirit, is joining two things together that should never be separated. If you think you can believe and behave in a way that's inconsistent with that, you're separating two things that God has put together. Faith is not dead, it lives. And it changes it. When you believe in Jesus, it will change your life. I feel a bit schizophrenic here. Because I have to tell you two things. It's right complicated being a preacher. I have to tell you two things. There are two different kinds of hearers. There will be two different kinds of hearers here this morning. If you're not a Christian, I want to say to you, you need to put your faith in Jesus and stop trying to do good things to earn it. But if you do believe in Jesus I want to say to you you need to get going and do, you, you need to be careful to devote yourself to doing what's good. Is that a bit schizophrenic? I want to say one thing to one group and another thing to another group. I don't want to encourage you if you don't believe in Jesus to do good things. I want to encourage you to look to Jesus first. But if you are a believer today I don't want to say just have a little sit on yourself and take it easy. I have to say to you be devoted to doing what's good you've been saved Christ has clothed you in his righteousness does your life reflect that? Christianity isn't a ticket to heaven for lazy people but the power to live life to the full now the idea of being careful it shows here doesn't it that you need to be intentional doesn't come naturally in a way you've got to be careful, you've got to be purposeful, you've got to wake up in the morning and say what am I going to do today to show that I belong to Jesus how am I going to organise my priorities in my life to reflect the fact that Christ has saved me do you think like that sometimes we're not comfortable talking like that because we think oh that's legalistic it's all about grace it is all about grace you can't do any of it without Christ I don't want you to be lazy none none of you I'm not insulting you You I'm I'm just trying to expound I don't want you to take that for granted but to use it as a platform to launch yourself into being on fire for Christ I believe in Jesus but it doesn't really matter how I live yes it does How you live proves that your faith is real and genuine. How you live shows to other people that the gospel works and has changed you and it can change them too. And as Paul says here, these things are good and profitable for everyone. One writer says this, if our religion comes from our very soul, if our life is the life of Christ in us, and we prove that we have new hearts and right spirits by acting the honourable the kindly and the truly Christian part these things are good and profitable for those who watch us for they may induce them to, to seek for better things it goes back to is your life useful and beautiful how on earth will we reach other people if they look at us and there's nothing different or worse Paul sent Titus to establish effective churches in a very difficult place it's the gospel that changes people's lives truth, faith change life so let me ask you do you believe in Jesus I don't mean do you agree with facts about him, but are you trusting him personally to save you? But then, are you living a godly life? I'm not asking are you perfect. I'm asking, is your life beautiful and useful? Or are you more concerned about all sorts of other priorities? There's a lot in this. I want you to answer those questions in your own heart. I said I'd spend a long time on the first one and we have. Let me rattle through the other two. An effective church will always be grounded in the gospel. But the second thing that Paul urges Titus here is to keep the gospel the main thing. If there was something for Titus to do, there was equally things for him to avoid. And the issue here is people who don't believe the gospel. Who are in the church... And he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. And his language here is quite hard. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinfully is self-condemned. You can see what Paul's doing here. What he's concerned about here is the health of the whole church family. And sometimes our church is quite small, but there are some churches where there'll be individuals who think they, you know they get some idea into head. Maybe it's some prophecy they've read in, I don't know, some obscure book in the Bible, and they think it means Prince Charles is the Antichrist or something I don't know. And they gather around themselves a little group of people and they say, "Look what I found. It's a little secret." and they, and they kind of join this little club within the church family. And they begin to disseminate these kind of weird ideas. Now, given what we've just been talking about for the last half an hour, does that do anyone any good? Does it save people? Does it point people to Jesus? Does it help them live productive lives? No, it doesn't. All it does is cause arguments. It's selfish. It's petty. It's ridiculous. Paul says... If you've got people, Titus, in your churches who do that sort of thing and start to create little factions within the church, take them to one side privately and say, will you please pack it in? Because this isn't doing you or anyone else any good. The aim of that warning is to restore them and to get them to get their eyes back on the gospel. Not to crush them, not to criticise them, not to be narrow-minded. The aim is to restore them so that they're effective and productive themselves. If that person says, I'm not listening to you, who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> what, what, what's the leader to do in that case? Well, I'm going to gently warn you again. And if the person just persists in a, in a stubborn, self-centred way and going their own way, Paul says, you really need, don't, don't crucify them, don't shoot them, don't send them a letter bomb, just very gently say, You can't be part of this church anymore because what you're saying will damage everyone else. So please, go somewhere else. Does that sound hard? Isn't it hard? It is hard, isn't it? But the issue is that the gospel has got to be the main thing. That's the application for us. If we're distracted from the gospel and from Jesus into arguing over here somewhere about little petty things that make no difference to anyone, leaders have to be aware of that. And sometimes there'll be hard things to say, privately or even publicly. The issue for Titus is, Titus, mate, it is the gospel that changes lives, not petty arguments. Keep the gospel the main thing, and don't let anyone knock you off course. If they try to knock you off course, have a word to them, and hopefully they'll come back on course. Can you see how serious it is? No one's going to be saved if you're arguing about the colour of the curtains or prophecies in Daniel. No one's going to be saved by those things. You won't make a blind bit of difference to the town or to Crete. Focus on Jesus and the gospel. C.H. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in the 1800s. Let me just read one quote. He says this, Our days are few and are far better spent in doing good than disputing over matters which are at best of minor importance. Our churches suffer much from petty wars over abstruse points and unimportant questions. After everything has been said that can be said, neither party is any the wiser. And therefore the question no more promotes knowledge than love, and it's foolish to sow in so barren a field. Our business is neither to ask or to answer foolish questions, but to avoid them altogether. And if we observe Paul's precept here, to be careful to maintain good works, we shall find ourselves far too much occupied with profitable business to take much interest in unworthy, contentious and needless striving. The aim of discipline isn't to crush, but to restore. But it is to protect the health of the church family as a whole. Let me just very quickly deal with the last point. Mobilising people through the gospel. I just want to close with this. Sometimes when you get to the end of Paul's letters. You read them and you think. What's that got to do with me? Who are these people anyway? As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus. Do your best to come to me the Nicopolis. Where's that? Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos it's like what's the point of that being in the Bible do you ever think that when you read those verses at the end let me just help us to bring that to life just cast your mind back 2000 years and imagine you're in an RE lesson at school and the teacher says what are the main religions in the world Judaism no Christianity no Islam for that matter and project into that scenario, this is a pagan world, Christianity hasn't even got off the ground, project into that an obscure little man, who isn't even a good speaker, called Paul. Let me read to you. Remember, he had no mass media, he couldn't broadcast a message by radio or TV or tapes or CDs, he didn't have a printing press, much less the internet, he didn't even have a post office to send out bulk mail shots, Furthermore, there was no rapid transport, he couldn't drive on modern highways or take a train or a jet from city to city, he had to walk or take a boat. He couldn't pick up the phone, push buttons, talk with his key workers, he communicated with them by hand-carried letters that took weeks or sometimes months to deliver. Yet, in spite of these limitations, Paul pulled it off he launched a Christian message to the Gentiles and permanently changed the history of the world how on earth did he do it? do you know how he did it? by mobilising other Christian believers to do their job he knew he couldn't do it all on his own Titus mate, I'm leaving you in Crete so that you can straighten out what was left unfinished. I can't do it on my own and be here as well. It's your job, mate. And in a bit, I'm going to send either Artemis or Tichka. something in my mind up yet, depends which one's free. Might send one of them somewhere else. But one of them's going to come, and when they come, I want you to come and meet me in Nicopolis. We're going to spend the winter there and formulate our strategies for next year. We'll have a rest, we'll talk about how we're doing, and we'll decide what we're going to do next in the spring. And don't, don't forget, when Zenos and Apollos come, make sure that they, you give them everything they need. And I don't just mean you, Titus, because I know your pockets aren't deep. I want you to encourage the other Christians in the church to help them as well. Be generous to them. Give them money if you need to, and send them on the way so that they can do the jobs I've given to them. Can you see what's going on there? This is a team. This is a team of believers who love Jesus spreading the gospel together, shoulder to shoulder, hand to the plow. I'm not doing what you told me, Paul. Who are you anyway? There's none of that. It's not, it's not to do with personalities. They love Jesus. And they're working together as a team to spread Jesus' fame all the way around the Mediterranean. Listen. How are we going to reach Rotherham? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? How are we going to reach Rotherham? Do you know what it... Do you know what it's gonna take? It's gonna take every Christian believer. All the Titicuses and Artemises and Apollos and Zenuses. The reason these people are mentioned is not because we know loads about them, because what God's Spirit is teaching us is that it depends on you and me. You need to be involved. Not on the bench, but involved. And as we close our studies in Titus the very last verse says everyone with me sends you greetings greet those who love us in the faith grace be with us all in the end it all begins and ends with God grace be with you all can we build an effective church here We can because the gospel changes lives. Let's make sure we keep it the main thing and not be sidetracked away from it. And let's make sure that all of us believe it and then devote ourselves to doing good works and being involved. For Christ's sake, for his honour and his glory. Amen.